Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com. It's a nice, pretty day outside. Um, so I hope you guys are having a great... I hope you guys have had a great week. Um, it's been crazy for me. I'm in my last... Technically, my last... My last week... Like, my last week of my last full semester of seminary is this week. And so I am die. But... Um, I hope you guys are doing well. I know some of the college students might really be relating to what I'm talking about. Um, but I said last week that we were going to end the book of Romans. But then, because in my folly and in my foolishness, and I want to fully like accept that, my folly and my foolishness, I was like, you know, it's okay if we don't cover Romans 16. God said, oh yeah, you thought. So we are going to be reading through uh, Romans 16. Romans 16 is a... It's an easy chapter to overlook because it might seem like it's just end credits. Um, but there is actually a lot of wisdom to be mined here in the way that Paul looks at people and the way that Paul addresses his community. So we're just going to read through Romans 16 together. I'm just going to read it once through just so that we don't miss anything or lose anything. We're just going to read it once through, okay? Uh, we're all gathered in our own individual places. But whether you are here or away in your in your rooms, I pray that you guys would have all do uh, all the respect and reverence that is due God's word right now. So if you guys have been distracted right now, is the time to pay attention. If you guys are feeling jittery right now, is the time to be still before the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Century, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stasis. Greet Apelles, who is appro approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the fair family of Aristobulus, or Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephena and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon. Um, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all that I, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, uh, as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosispiter, my kinsmen. 
I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erast Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be the glory forever through Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Abba, we give you glory for this morning. It's really nice outside. We give you glory for that. Um, thank you for these beautiful brothers and sisters that you have brought into this community. Thank you, God, that you have given us resources uh, to be able to meet regardless of what the world is going through. Thank you that you have kept all of us safe. We do not take that as coincidence. But we take that, Father God, as your, as your providence over us, that um, you have kept our church safe for the most part, God, and that even for those who might have been exposed to coronavirus, Father, that you have uh, brought them to health. Lord, I thank you that you are with all of us, that you are in love guiding us, that you are in your grace meeting us that you are in your mercy, gently probing our hearts. Father, I pray right now that for every single person that is here uh, in person and in spirit, I just pray that your spirit may be upon every single soul. Father God, that any and all distractions that people might be experiencing, Father God, would leave right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for clarity, we pray for wisdom, to see you, we pray for a revelation that only comes from you. For you love each and every person in this ministry. You have a special word and a special heart for every single person here. So God, we just wanna, we just wanna see you. We just wanna get to know you better. Father, I, I humbly pray before you, prostrate before you, God. This is your church, it's not mine. So I lift up this congregation to you, God. Holy Spirit, may you take us to the next level with you. And Lord, hide me and myself behind your cross, that it is only your wisdom and only your word that reaches the hearts of your people, Father God, and that I myself may be able to also digest the word that you have for all of us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay. So at first glance, this is, it's hard um, to have a main idea for this, so I don't have a main idea, but I, I do have a title, and the title is Commend and Greet. Commend, Greet. So the first thing to note about this particular chapter, and I, I don't want to I don't want to drag this chapter out too long, but the first thing to um, mention about this chapter are the verbs. Now, Paul dedicates um, two-thirds of this chapter to greeting people, um, which means that he views that to be very, very important. And I, I think that's something that can't be lost on us, okay? And so we're just going to unpack these verbs a little bit. The first thing that we see literally in verse 1 is the, co the commendation of Phoebe. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe. Now, what, what does it mean to commend somebody? In today's day and age, it means to compliment them. But back then, to commend somebody to another person, it's, it's to bring together as friends to bring two parties together as friends or into a trusting relationship by introducing and recommending. I'm gonna say that one more time. What is commending somebody? It is bringing together as friends or a trusting relationship by introducing and recommending people to one another. This means that she's going to them. 
which means that she's being sent from somewhere to go to them. I want to unpack Phoebe a little bit. And uh, we're going to unpack some of these people as well. But I want to first unpack Phoebe. She is clearly a leader in the community. Most likely, she seemed to be wealthy, maybe a wealthy businesswoman that is a patron that serves the financial needs of the church. She is a patron for the church and Paul. But the word patron is not just somebody that helps in money, but it's actually a word for leader, director, a helper in an elevated term. A patron is somebody that helps you, but is elevated, okay? So she is a patron for the church and for Paul, which means that Paul himself is giving her respect that is due. Okay, so she's a leader of the community. She's called a servant. A servant. And she's also clearly leading. She's clearly a key leader in the church. It says that she hold, like she is a leader, a servant of the church of Centria. The fact that a church is mentioned means that she probably has an official position. It is assumed uh, because of how she is servant that she's most likely a deacon. So here we see that in and of itself is a contradiction in scripture. Because you will find in other parts of scripture that, that deacons or people have interpreted it, that deacons refer exclusively to men. So this in and of itself is a contradiction in the New Testament, okay? But Paul commends, he recommends somebody and introduces, he recommends, introduces Phoebe to come into a trusting relationship with the Church of Rome. She's being sent to them, and he's asking them to do whatever she asks of them and to supply her with whatever it is that she might need. Then he says to greet one another, sometimes with a holy kiss. Um, I know, I know. Imagine we all walked in, like we French or something. Oh yes, hello everyone. You know, imagine. I have, um, <laughs> like Timon is right here right now and I can't even ima imagine. Imagine you walked into church and you gave everybody a kiss on the cheek as you walked in. Imagine his face is like, oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. I've just gotten, I've just got some faces here. I mean, Christian, you would love that. Um, <laughs> but yes, so we greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, what does it mean to greet? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. That was way too much shade. I'm so sorry. I love you, man. Um, <laughs> I just did that. Anyways, <laughs> um, yes. Whew. It'll pass. It'll pass. Uh, we greet one another. What does it mean to greet in scripture? Uh, the word greet actually is a word of hospitality. Uh, it means to welcome somebody and be hospitable. It means to be friendly to somebody. In this context, because they are far from one another, for the church to be greeting each other, sending hospitality and and greetings. And there's this underlying connotation of remembrance. So this is really interesting because not often in scripture will you read a lot about welcoming. And in, in a lot of churches that you go, there will be a welcoming committee. There will be like, uh, like ushers, right? Who like hold Chubos at the door, chubos are church brochures, right? They hold the liturgy at the door, they give it and they say hello, they walk, they, they lead you to a seat. You'll often find people like that in the body. Um, and there's not a lot written about these types of people in scripture. But this verb says a lot about what needs to happen in the body of Christ and what needs to happen amongst churches in the body of Christ for spiritual health in the, in the area. So greeting is to have hospitality and to welcome one another. It's to send greetings with a sense of remembrance. Paul is explicitly giving these names, not so that the church would forget them. Now, I, I want to pause right here 
because there's a lot right there in, in, in greeting. And I remember reading, not reading, I remember being in a seminar in, in college, in my college ministry. We were in a, uh, no, maybe it was in the seminar. It was a, it was a sermon. Uh, sometimes we had, so we had different like professors. Uh, so I attended, obviously we all know this by now, but I attended Binghamton University and I went to um, a church. <laughs> oh right i right yeah uh so yeah <laughs> i went to university and then um in our college ministry there was a deacon who's no longer there he's actually in uh george washington university teaching north korean literature um his name is professor emmanuel kim and he was the person that was kind of like in charge of our em at that time um and so like once a month to kind of ease uh Reverend Song's burden, Pastor Song's burden, um, he would preach every once once a month. Now, just brief context is that our head pastor preached <laughs> three services. So he preached the adult service slash uh, Korean college ministry service and then the EM service. But then I think they used to have two of those services. Now I think it's one each. But so our head pastor does everything for all the congregations. And so what Reverend, uh, what Deacon Emmanuel Kim would do, what Deacon Emmanuel would do, he's, he would like sub in and uh, share a word every once a month or so. And I remember, I think this was Deacon Emmanuel's first ever sermon. I remember it just stuck out to me because, you know, he's a professor. So he obviously like preaches as though he's still a professor. Like you can't um, do anything about that. He's a really quirky guy, plays really good jazz piano. Um, uh, but I remember he me he mentioned this one sentence and it really, I don't know why, it really stuck with me. He said. We should, we ought not to be a church that has their front door and back door open. Um, and I, and I, I remember, I think it was either my sophomore year or my like fall semester of junior year. And I just remember hearing him say that. And I don't know why, but that, that particular sentence ended up being a theme. So I heard it once in my home church. I heard it. I had never heard that that phrase before, but I'd heard it like three times that year. And I, it just it really marked the way I was a leader um, because it, it really got me thinking about what it meant to be a Christian. Um, he had said, like, so often churches have their front doors open, but they also have their back doors open. And if you really, really, really consider that, I think that this verb of greeting one another really addresses the need to close the back door. Um, in this verb, hospitality and welcome are two sides of the same coin. I wanna bring this up because while North Boston is really, really good at being a community, um, and I am really so, I am so, so grateful to the Lord for what he has done in this ministry these past four years, I cannot be any more blessed um, to be pastoring here and to have witnessed what God has done with North Boston from 2017 till now. But I will say like, while we are such a wonderful body and I love every single person in this ministry so much, it is worth noting that we are not necessarily always the most welcoming church. Um, and what I mean by that is some of us, I think for as adults, it's, it's easier um, to be welcoming because um, for adults, they come and I don't actually, that doesn't, this doesn't fully apply to married couples, but for adults, for the most part, right? For single adults, when they show up to a church, that's because they, they showed up. It's not because of their parents. It's not because of another person. Sometimes in marriages, one person is really religious and therefore two show up. Um, in the case of you know youth students, sometimes students go to church because of their parents. Um, but not always is that the case, but sometimes. But when, when you're a young adult, uh, you, you often go to church because you're going, right? So it's a little easier 
um, to be welcomed in because you're already at a point where you are ready to plug yourself into a community and whatnot. Um, but I will say like our while our church is like really loving, we're not always the most hospitable. Um, we are very good at greeting people and saying, hi, like, what's your name? But it might be difficult for us to really care and keep um, people in, not, not for the sake of numbers or for the sake of having more people in our ministry or anything like that, but just when somebody welcome, when somebody comes into the door, it might take them a, a harder, a, not a harder time, because um, I know that comparatively, we, we are a very loving and welcoming church. So I'm not saying like we're not welcoming and we're not hospitable, but I do think that there is work to be done in that department. And one thing that is really, really lovely about this verb is that welcoming and hospitality are two sides of the same coin. Why that is significant is because hospitality is when you bring somebody into their home and you invite them to stay, right? Welcoming is a friendly greeting. It is a greeting that is given with love. And there's this initial greeting, right? This initial, hey, right? This initial hug. But hospitality is this sense of bringing people into your personal space and allowing them to stay a while. There's this sense, it's not temporary, it's like the difference between somebody entering into your home and staying the night. Having just a meal or coming again. Hospitality has to do with longer term. It's a deeper, deeper friendliness. It's a deeper welcoming. And it's... And the key thing about being hospitable, because I've always thought about this, like, because the word hospital is also tied to this word, hospitable, right? And it must have something to do with being able to house people, right? The body of Christ is a home. And it is a home to people who have been in this home for 18 years. And it is home to people who have been in it for eight months. And I think there's something to be said and there's something for all of us to take away that Paul is actively pushing the body of Christ to greet one another. I believe we should take this personally. My brief exhortation to you or and oh wait, also there's this underlying sense of remembrance. Now I, I suck at this. I'm working on it. If I have ever hurt your feelings about this, I apologize. But I am definitely working on this as well. Um, have you guys ever met somebody and forgotten their name? It, I, I have, I'm not going to say, but I have done this time and time again. And it has not been good. Let me tell you, between you and me, and the internet, which is quite unfortunate. Remembering all the names in a rise is really difficult sometimes. Um, I, I have to like try my best to take a snapshot of that face. Um, it, it, because, you know, sometimes people expect, cause you know, you're up there and there's like 200 people um, in the, in the, and you're just trying to, you know, people say hello to you afterwards and, and, and you just try to remember the face and maybe somebody's just attended, but then they'll add you on Instagram and they'll be like, Hey, remember me? And I'll be like, yeah. Um, and I, I suck at this. I definitely need to work on this, but there's something about remembering people that is actually really important to greeting. And that's something that, like I said, if I have ever hurt anybody about this, I apologize. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. It just means that I am limited <laughs> up here in my noggin. So show me a little bit of grace. Um, but um, it's just so easy for us to forget one another in the body. And it's really important that we remember each other. 
that's a very key part of greeting. So this word is actually really important. In my side exhortation to you today, and by exhortation, I'm urging you to greet someone this week because that is how you grow. That is how you grow. Staying in your comfort zone in your relationships is not how you grow. I would encourage you and urge you to greet somebody that you haven't talked to in a while, maybe that you might not have prior friendship with, and greet them. And say, hey, and strike up a conversation. Maybe that conversation won't last long, but at least you'll have had it. Because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's clearly important that we do it. So, greeting. Now I just want to talk a little bit about the people. So we clearly talked about Phoebe. She's clearly a trailblazer in her own right, being sent out and commissioned by Paul to go to the Church of Rome, right? Um, and she's a female deacon. Some churches don't allow females to be deacons. But here, we see an endorsement, a glowing endorsement of a female deacon, right? And then we see Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. They are mentioned, if you guys remember, they are mentioned in the book of Acts, and I talked about them, about Apollos. They were the ones to call out Apollos when he was like preaching the gospel, but it wasn't fully correct. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, they were working as tent makers with Paul. They risked their lives. They were necks for his life. They did ministry with him in Corinth, and they went to do ministry in Ephesus on their own. They have a house which means they have considerable, like enough wealth to be able to host a house church. And they are fellow workers. The key word here about Paul's description of them is fellow workers. This deals with, it's actually a very glowing term. When Paul says this, he's calling them a fellow laborer, right? People who do ministry with him in all kinds of ways. And they're a couple. Some scholars, I mean, this is, it's, it's, there's not enough evidence um, to say who wrote the book of Hebrews, but some, some scholars believe that Prisca wrote it. Um, she's the wife. And so, that, now that can't be proven, but um, that's how important Prisca and Aquila are. That's how important Priscilla and Aquila are. Here, we see more ministers that are both genders. Um, not Aquila and his wife, not Prisca and her husband, but Prisca and Aquila, both in their own right, doing ministry together. Then we see a person named Junia. I want to mention this. A lot of you guys have the ESV, and I have to say my doubt over this translation has intensified greatly because of this name. Junia is a female name. Some people say that it might be a contraction for a male name, Junonias, but no, it is Junia Nonias, Junia Nias, whatever the, whatever, whatever the heck that male name is supposed to be. But Junia is a common female name and the contraction of the male name is unknown. So this name is a feminine name. But if you notice in the ESV book, they have the footnote and it says, they have the number five next to it and it says at the bottom, or Junius. That's wrong. That's wrong. That is people twisting scripture and making you, making, making the body of Christ feel like their interpretation is tantamount to scripture in and of itself. Like all translations, it's just a translation. And I would like to point out that you might as well cross out that footnote, white it out, act like it never existed because it's false. That name is only feminine. Why they, why they chose to have that footnote is because in another part of scripture, Junia is called an apostle. So what does that mean? What does this mean? Well, let's just talk a little bit about who she was. She's in the family of Paul. She was in prison with him for Christ. She was a Christian before Paul, but she's family with him. And 
She's named an apostle probably because she's a part of the early church. It doesn't seem like it's the capital A apostle or even the kind of apostle that apostle Paul is. It seems to be talking about um, maybe probably speaking more to somebody who preaches or proclaims the gospel like a missionary. Um, who's somebody who speaks forth the word of the Lord, right? And so that that's there. Now, some people in their interpre interpretation of scripture... Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about this and I don't want to take up too much time talking about it, but I do want to acknowledge the fact that in some parts of scripture, it does say explicitly that leaders in the church ought to be men, that women ought to submit under, um, their husbands or, you know, that they need to, ought to be quiet in the body. And yes, while some people might be, you know, more conservative evangelicals might be more fundamental um, and they might take it the English translation for what it is. I would like to say that um, as somebody who has been studying God's word for four years um, and has been really wrestling with this with an open mind and an open heart, I would like to say there are really difficult parts of this. People can really bend either way, but there's enough evidence for both sides within scripture. Um, and there's enough evidence to show that any patriarchal passage is also dipped just as much in culture as it is in, in the word of God. And so that's just something that I want to point out for some people in our body who might be like, should women become pastors? I would like, I, I want to speak to you more about this, um, as I work it out in my own self more, this was a sensitive topic for me for a while, so I didn't ever speak on it. But I am convinced, and I'd like to say this, I think I need to say this, at least to our church, I am convinced that God empowers, acknowledges, recognizes, and commends women as leaders of the church. Um, I've done enough study to know that that is the case. And so for those of us who might have that, some of us might be like, well, why is this an issue? It is an issue. It is an issue. It is an issue and it's gonna become more of an issue as life goes on because the Korean church is actually really deeply patriarchal. There's a lot of systematic inequality, gender inequality in our parent generation. And I would like to say that North Boston is no exception to this because the UMC has been ordaining female elders for a long time. And we, we, we appointed our first female elder, I believe last year. So if you feel like this is removed from you, most likely your mother has been privy to systematic inequality and has completely assimilated into that in some way, shape, or form as well. So this is something we have to take seriously. How, brothers, how do you honor the words and thoughts of your sisters? Sisters, how do you honor yourselves in choosing to put yourself in positions where you can be heard and also hearing your brothers, not with bitterness or anger, but with love and compassion, seeking to, seeking to better one another, right? This is a very important conversation that we must continue to have as people in the body of Christ, okay? Um, that's gonna take humility on both sides. And a lot less female browbeating and a lot less mansplaining. It means we all have to chill. That's what it means, okay? We've all got to chill, okay? So Junia is a woman. There's enough evidence that it is a woman. The, the, right, the linguistic writing, she's a girl, all right? She's a girl. She's a girl preacher, okay? That's what she is. And Herodian is a freed slave who took on the name of the family that they served, which means Men, woman, slave, free. Everybody the same. Everybody the same. Everybody the same. Everybody is the same. The name 
And I, I just want to mention this. The name Philemon, or Philemon, which is an epistle, that name is given to, that, is, that name is often given to slaves as well. The church, you have to pick something up about this. The church was countercultural. See, because slaves obviously were slaves. They had no rights, no freedoms, um, no voice. And women existed in society during this time as proxy. Their significance and their voice was only in relation to their husband. The status that they had was only as much as the man had. Okay, so it's like a trophy wife. And all the woman could do within society was insofar as what the man could do. Actually, American society functioned that way until 1900. So if you're a girl and you feel like this is removed and, you know, our society is more modern, it's actually really, really recent that this sentiment has broken, okay? Um, the early 1900s, it was still this way, okay? So just keep that in mind. Keep this all in mind. Um, it's really, really important that we understand that the church the early church did not function on the same rules and ethics and values and moral principles that the prevailing society functioned in. Freed men were brothers. Women were sisters, regardless of who their husband was. They were sisters and valuable in their own right. Everybody was family. This is really important. This is really, really important. Paul also says, greet the families of the brother Narcissus. Narcissus is a freed slave that committed suicide shortly before Paul wrote the book of Romans. And so Paul is also addressing the church in Rome. Most likely if he's writing this in, that means the narcissist is a bit removed from the the place of Rome, but Paul is asking for them to greet, greet, greet this family. So this word greet is not just a dap, okay? It's hospitality. It's remembering a name. It's caring for people. And the key point is that this is a letter. It, I, it's missed. It's almost missed on y'all, but this is a letter, which means it's mailed from far away. So Paul is asking the church of Rome to greet people that are far away. Paul is asking for, for the church of Rome to remember the names of leaders in the body of Christ in another place. Not just people who are near you, not just people who are convenient, not just people who live down the block, but people who are far away. Hospitality, greet them. It's not grieve with them, it's not cry with them, it's greet them. Clearly this greeting, this fellowship, has something very, very, very special attached to it that it would also be used in a family who is grieving the suicide of somebody who was freed from slavery. The next name, Rufus, and attached to that, it says, chosen in the Lord. Why I love Rufus is because I feel like I am a Rufus. And what I mean by that is Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Do you guys remember Simon of Cyrene? A lot of you guys won't catch that name. I like the name Simon now. Um, I didn't always like the name Simon, but I like the name Simon now. My friend's, my friend's first boy, his name is Simon. He's going to be born soon. But, um, oh my God, that's so funny. Um, but, oh my God. Son of Cyrene. Uh, son of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene is the man who cr carried Christ's cross. So it's not totally like proven that this is the case, but a lot of people like say that there is a solid connection from Rufus to Simon of Cyrene, that he is the son of Simon, the one who carried Christ's cross to Golgotha. And it says here that his mother was a mother to Paul as well. 
Here we see Paul asking the church of Rome to greet potentially a man in Jerusalem. If y'all can imagine the distance, while I don't fully know the geographical location of Rome back then, I mean, if you can imagine Italy and Israel, <laughs> like Italy and it is, is Israel, right? So, and I, I think Rufus is a nod to all them people who are sons and daughters of faithful people. You know, God is not just a God that chooses our parents, but God has a plan for us, amen? That's a very special, I believe that that's a very special addition, very special name. He's the son of the man who carried Christ's cross, and yet he is chosen in the Lord. Second generation, where you at, right? So um, that's just something to keep in mind, right? As us, as the younger generation, the the child, the children of of people who had faith to cross over an ocean. Um, it's something to keep in mind that God blesses Rufus. And then he ends this part with all the churches in Christ greet you. My only thing is, do we do that? Do we do that? Do we do that? Do we greet all the churches in Christ? Yo, I don't really know. I don't really know. I barely know all the churches in greater Boston, let alone. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really. I mean, I try. I, I try to pray for all the churches that are written in the registry that Arise has. But even outside of those churches, like, I don't know, man. I really don't know. It says all the churches in Christ greet you. And it's 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 important to question like do we do that or are we comfortable where we're at? God did not I'm going to say this to you just one time and I hope it sticks in your brains for a long time. God did not bless North Boston to keep the blessing here. So my exhortation to you is do you greet other churches? Do you see them as your brothers and sisters? Do you remember their names? It's a call for unity. It's unity in action. Apostle Paul isn't even saying unify. He's just saying greet them. It's just living it out, right? The church is also clearly a countercultural place where the marginalized were given status, dignity, and community. If the marginalized entered our church doors, would that be the same? If somebody entered our church doors that was too different, maybe too awkward, too hard to talk to, would they be given dignity, community? What is our standard of koinonia? What is your basis for friendship? What is your basis for hospitality? The later part of this passage says, beware of divisions and obstacles contrary to what you've learned. Beware of divisions and obstacles contrary to what you've learned. I mean, Paul outlines those who teach them. He says, beware of those who teach you divisions and obstacles that are contrary to what you've learned. And he says that these people, these people who teach division and obstruction to the gospel to being one in Christ. If you've noticed, one of the key ways to living out the gospel is unity. One of the key ways that gospel-driven transformation will show up in your life is uncomfort. It's discomfort, right? Um, and it says, beware of those who teach division. an obstacle. I want to say the Church of America and the Korean Church of New England is very fragmented. It's very, very fragmented. A sociologist wrote that a religious sociologist 
um, wrote that uh, the Korean church of America is often fragmented by men who are competing for official positions in the body and have differing opinions. And the church, I believe it said in this book, it said the Korean church of America, the Korean American church of America is, clo is prone to splinter. Now we are a multi-ethnic congregation. Um, so even if you're not Korean, you are part of us. Um, and so this is something that we have to own up to because this is just historical facts, right? Um, we bear the name KUMC. And so we got to own up to the fact that the church is prone to splint. Um, splint, splintering is often not in line with the gospel. It's sad to say, and I'm not, I'm not saying that people are teaching division um, or anything like that. I'm not saying that all these people who have splintered are false teachers. There are legitimate reasons for why churches cannot no longer be under the same roof. That doesn't mean that we are not the same body in Christ. That does not mean that we don't stand in unity. And it doesn't mean that, and when splints do happen and they are inevitable, it doesn't mean that it isn't hurtful. The reason why it's hurtful is because we are a family, right? But I want to say that division is contrary to God's design for the body. Okay. And it talks about these false teachers who might preach that um, people who claim to be Christians and deviate in some way from an essential truth of the gospel. In reaction to these false, teacher, false teachers, Paul says, be wise to what is good and be innocent to what is evil. Why this is really important. Be wise to what is good. Be innocent to what is evil. What is, what is wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Okay? Know God. That is the beginning of wisdom. Being wise to what is good is to know God. To trust in God. And to lean on Him and not on your own understanding. To know God. To trust God. And to lean on Him and not on your own understanding. That is the beginning of wisdom. Being wise to what is good. And then what? It's not being wise to what is evil. It's being innocent to what is evil. Being innocent. What do you think of when somebody is innocent? You think of somebody who has not been tainted by the world. Someone who might not have known. Who might not, who might have remained unexposed to the terrors of the interwebs. <laughs> right? Innocence. <laughs> oh, y'all, we gotta tell you this story sometime another time. No, not, not, not on recording. It's okay, body. It's okay, church. We'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not gonna make it a church. Okay, I'm not gonna. Anyway, so innocence is somebody who has been untouched by the world, right? How do you remain innocent about evil? How does one remain innocent about a dilapidated, broken, rotting, evil world? How? You might wonder, how? Number one, how do we stay unexposed? Number two, how can we stay innocent about evil and also not get caught up in it? Like, because when you're innocent about it, then you're not aware of it, right? Paul makes a distinction here between being innocent and being naive. He says, don't be so naive as to fall for the smooth talk and get caught up in this false theology, but be innocent. And how are we preserved in innocence? Innocence here is not necessarily about exposure. It's more about decision. I have these tattoos. I don't want to show them, but... I, like, I have these tattoos. There are two sprigs of baby's breath across my collarbones. A lot of people ask me why I got it. I know if with the wrong, um, with the wrong outfit and the wrong makeup, I might look a little bit like an ABG, right? Um, because it's like all across my collarbones. But the reason why I put it here on the crown of my body is because um, the, the, the meaning of the flower, baby's breath, is um, innocence, power of the Holy Spirit, and the 
the um, commitment to like the com- the ability to to commit to one person forever. Um, another like alternative meaning is enduring love, right? And the reason why I adorned myself with this is because that's the kind of woman I want to be. I am not innocent. I have been places and I have done things. Okay. So it's not that I all of a sudden want to go to go back to being untainted. But I think there's something to be said about being wise about what is good. That allows us to disengage from evil. Even as we are in the world. Be wise about what is good. Be aware of the fact that God is real. You don't have, I mean, God wrote yes on my word document, but you don't have to even have yes be written in your, your word. I mean, I was just so, if you can, I was so dumb. I was not catching his signs that he had to write in yes on a word document. And you know, some of us might be like, oh, Jane, like I want to experience that. You don't need to experience that to know that God is real. If God is real, and if God's reality means that all of these things that we are learning about are true, then is that not enough ground to be wise about what is good, regardless of what is on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever is out there? Regardless of the temptation to pornography, regardless of society's, um, like, cat the society's dismantling of the sacrilege of sex, like regardless of all of these things, the things that can be consumed, whatever it may be, like obviously, you know, I've been there. And so I'm not judging anybody for that, right? But being wise about what is good helps you to disengage from what is bad for your spirit. And so being innocent is not to be naive. It's not to go into something without any knowledge. It's not to fall for any trap. It's not to have never been exposed. It's not to have never done things anymore, but be wise about what is good for your soul. Be wise about what is good for your soul. Know yourself. How do you stay innocent? A practical thing is to not overestimate yourself. Don't get so cocky that you're like, oh yeah, every temptation is beyond me. That's how you are going to fall. I guarantee if you get overconfident about that, about your your own self, you will fall. Be vigilant. On the contrary, be vigilant and wary. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Don't overestimate yourself about temptation, not just of the desire, but also of the mind. If you start to think, I know everything, be vigilant because you don't. You don't. None of us know everything. It's impossible. Think about that statement. If you feel confident about what you know, think about the statement, I know everything. And think about how illogical that statement actually is. Be aware of yourself. Being wise to what is good, it also takes, just as much as it takes faith, it takes self-awareness. Be self-aware of your pitfalls, of where you might fall short, where you might fall into temptation. Be careful. And even if you fall in, there is grace for you and forgiveness for you. Like I said, I've been there. There's about nothing that y'all can't talk to me about because I've really been everywhere, right? But that's okay. I'm before you today because the grace of God is on my shoulders and the righteousness of Christ is my identity. So be wise to what is good. Be innocent to what is evil. And the God of the, and God will, I love this, crush Satan under your feet. I remember the first time I ever heard this verse in a song. It's the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet for three minutes. This was a retreat for VBS. In my generation, VBS was not something you went during the day. It was a three, three day, two night camp. 
And it was like 10 p.m. at night and they were singing, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. And like everyone was screaming underneath your feet. And I was so freaked out because I was in third grade. Okay. I was so, I'm sweating thinking about it. Um, but there's something powerful. There's something powerful about that. It's will. It's not might. It's a will. That's, that's victory. Even if you are unable to resist sometimes, even if you fall short, that the, the deed has been done. It is finished. This battle is victory. So don't, don't get caught up in yourself that you lose sight of what God is about to do. And then Paul ends with the doxology and praise to God, giving glory to him. Because it's only God that can move hearts. It's only God that can do all things. So real quick, application, right? Commending, greeting one another. Learn to encourage and uplift each other, okay? Learn to be hospitable. We have God too. We're doing a great job. Y'all, we're doing a great job. Every single person I know in this community has made an, I have seen, made an effort, stepped out of their comfort zone in different moments. And I can, I can literally point out a moment in every single person in this community, even the sixth graders, you know, I've seen moments where I am really proud that you have stepped past your comfort. Okay. Um, however, Actually, the word proud, I don't like the word proud. It's a little patronizing, like encouraged by how you guys have stepped outside of your comfort zone. However, we all, we can always, we can always do more for it. Um, learn, we've got to learn church to be hospitable, to encourage one another, to welcome one another, to be okay with being vulnerable with one another a little bit more. Okay, a little bit more, baby steps, right? Woman. You are important. You are important. Your words are important. Your leadership is important. My existence at North Boston changed a lot of things for gender equality in our church. Just because I don't really know norms well enough to follow them, you know, just this rambunctious girl just plowing through bulldozing through as per usual and i just bulldoze through everything but it's fine i think it's great i definitely could work on it but i think it was it ended it ended well um but woman you are important your words are important your leadership is necessary please remember that please remember that that god honors you and he recognizes you servants Whoever is serving at North Boston, whoever is serving elsewhere, whoever is thinking about serving, whoever has been burned about serving here or elsewhere, God recognizes your service. If you notice at the end of this chapter, every single person that served in the writing of this book is uplifted. You are important. Your service does not go unrecognized. When God says, be in the quiet place, he ain't just talking about like, oh, servants, you know how we talk about how like the most humble servants are the servants that nobody recognizes or notices? Yes, that's true. But you know what, church? You know what I recognized while reading this? Because I've heard that growing up. Oh, we have to recognize all the people who clean out the trash, all the people who clean our churches, all the people who are making the food in the back. And the, and the pastor takes that opportunity to acknowledge them. And then life goes on at business as usual. No! That church... Our church needs to learn to recognize those people more often. Apostle Paul doesn't even let the, the scribe of this letter go by. The person who wrote this is Paul. The person at the bottom, Tertius, he's the, part, the one who put it on paper. So Apostle Paul spoke it out and he wrote it down. And even he is recognized. And he says, I, which means the Apostle Paul said, recognize yourself. Write yourself into this letter because ev servants, God honors you. He recognizes your servants and he lifts you up. Don't, God doesn't need nobody to sacrifice themselves on the altar while no one's watching. That's not, 
That's not, that's also self-glorification, y'all. We all are recognized and we all are uplifted because it brings glory to the Lord. Okay? And don't be naive when you are innocent. Be wise about what is good. Don't rely on your own brain. Don't rely on your own brain. Don't just sift through on your own brain what is good and what is wrong. Don't, do, don't just rely on your own brain, okay? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read it. Read it. If you feel like it's outdated, you won't even know what arguments to make because you haven't read it. Read it, okay? Read it. Don't assume that you know everything and go based off of your feelings. This is the one place where you cannot just go off of a whim, okay? Read the Bible and give glory to God. The reason why we greet one another, the reason why we serve, the reason why men and women serve the body of Christ, the reason for all of this is God. That's the goal. That's the focus. If you haven't been doing it for God, then you have to learn how to do it for God. You have to learn to prioritize God. You have to learn. And a lot of you guys might be like, practically, Jane, how do I do that? It's a matter of your own decision to choose to put God first over your relationships, over your, not, not saying that you should abandon your family, but over your family. Yes, over your family. Yes, over your future. Yes, over your significant other. Glory to God. Yes, all of the above. Yes. When God is in his proper place, everything will fall into their proper places. When God is where he needs to be, family will be where they need to be. Your relationship will be where it needs to be. Your marriage will grow healthier. Glory to God. This is a lot. I know. Off of the end credits, y'all. It's like Marvel. It's like you thought. Um, let's take this moment to pray. There's a lot that's mentioned here. Um, there's obviously bits about things just that need to be discussed about gender and about how God honors both men and women. There's about, there's a lot about meeting and greeting one another. It's a lot about, um, encouraging, uplifting, being hospitable to one another, like breaking past your comfort zones. There's an exhortation to be uncomfortable. There's an exhortation to not just lean on your own understanding and to not be naive. To think that y'all can do it on your own is to be naive. Be wise about what is good. Be innocent as to what is evil. Maybe some of us struggle with that. struggle with thinking that what we think about people, about the world, about God is right. That's okay. Me too. God is humbling me every day. So let's embark on some hard, honest prayers together. And when was the last time you greeted somebody that you don't normally talk to? When was the last time church was a place and a home for everyone? When was the last time you engaged in that concept? When was the last time you put the needs of the church over your own needs that day? When was the last time you trusted in the Lord and leaned not on your own understanding? When was the last time you acknowledged God? and shirked away from what was evil in your life. We all have things that we might fall into. 
every day. If you struggle with any of what I've said, right? Even things like lust, that's okay. But be wary of yourselves. Don't just go into this cycle of grief and repentance and guilt. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge God. Don't just be like, oh, I'm, I might fall into this temptation. Acknowledge God. How does God being a real, real human and also Hananim, who can walk into this room right now, who can descend and walk into this room right now, how does that reality change your life and the decisions you make for today? Let's just take this moment to just have honest prayer and give glory to God and open ourselves up to life in his grace and his mercy and lived out transformation from the gospel. Let's just take this moment to just pray about whatever is on your heart, whatever is pressing in your heart. Lord, I just pray. From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at nbkumc.com.